So the title of this message is called The End. It didn't take much to figure out, hey, I needed to call this message The End. We're talking about all of it, all of the end. And so you've heard different things throughout these past few weeks. You've heard uh, Pastor Josh talk about Daniel and um, his friends being in the fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den and the things that Pastor Dustin was sharing. And then I get to come up here and talk about prophecy and end times and beasts with four heads and the head, the head of a man and iron teeth. And so I'm so excited about it. Um, side note, uh, I've, I'm, I know I've said before that I would never talk about the end times, and yet here I am talking about the end times. And so I wanna just take some of the scariness out of it, some of like, this is overwhelming, I don't understand it, and just bring it down to a practical level. Today we're gonna talk a lot about Daniel and prophecy. I don't know if you noticed, but Daniel, you'll notice that Daniel takes a big dramatic shift in these chapters seven through 12. And also I got the privilege of closing out six chapters. So there was like the pressure, the uh, challenge is on. And I, I wanna definitely try to meet that challenge today. Okay, think about Daniel and all these past few weeks of what you've been hearing. Daniel has been through some things, y'all. He has seen some things. He has walked through some things. He has lived through kind of like more so of what other people would live through in a whole lifetime. He has lived those things out. And again, today we are talking about prophecy. Did you know that 25% of your Bible is prophecy? For every one mention of Christ's first coming, there's eight more for his second. I don't know if you recognize that. And Daniel is perhaps one of the most prophetic books in the Bible, and Revelation is built on what Daniel said in chapter seven and eight. So it's a really big, there's a lot about that. So I have a question for you. Did any of you grow up, uh, I might be aging myself here, but like junior high, high school, in church in the 90s? Is there, was there any of you? I did. Okay, so I think whoever kind of started this had a good intention behind it, but the 90s were really big on end times and the end of the world and Jesus coming back in the tribulation and it was scary and it was, it was so fearful and people's heads are getting chopped off and it was just, there were songs about it, y'all. There were books about it and series and there were movies. So it was like always in your face. Like it seemed like everybody was talking about the end times that Jesus is coming back. And I was a Christian and I love Jesus, but it scared me a lot. It scared my little heart a whole lot. And there was this movie called Thief in the Night. Has anybody seen it? It's like 60s, 70s. It's like old. And I think Groundhog Day might've stolen some of like the, the premise behind this movie is because this lady... The same thing keeps happening every single day. She wakes up, the same thing's happening. She wakes up to the sound of a razor in a sink, an electric razor. So I guess her husband was like shaving and he got taken up and raptured to heaven and his clothes were probably on the floor in a nice little pile. And that razor was just going zzz in the, in the sink and going off and she'd wake up, wake up, wake up. And every day he was gone, Christians were gone. They had left this earth, Jesus had taken them. And they were in the tribulation and she was living through, it was like people's heads getting chopped off and blood and people running in the streets and screaming. And this is what they're showing us in high school on a movie. And I was very, very afraid. And again, I love Jesus, but I didn't know like, why was this so fearful? It even got to the point that if I'd call my mom and she wouldn't answer the phone, I'd be like, oh my gosh, my mom got raptured. Where are her clothes? Like I'm left, I'm stuck here. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And even to the point where if it would just, it was like a nice day and all of a sudden the thunder would be like the loudest thunder and lightning and all that you've ever heard. I'm like, oh my God, Jesus is coming back. Am I ready? I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. I, I love him, but I, so again, I think these people had really good intentions, but it, it really did scare me. 
But what I wanna do is just take some of the scariness out of the things that we hear. And the last few chapters of Daniel are about prophecy. So what is prophecy? You may not even be 100% sure what prophecy is. It's just a foretelling or a prediction of the future of what's to come. It's insights into the future. And God uses prophets. Daniel was a prophet. He uses them, he speaks through them to say his words. And as I said before, prophecy is never meant to scare you, but to encourage and to equip you. And that's what I want you to get today. Prophecy is designed to give us hope today and free us, not give us fear about our future, to free us from our fear of the future. So I have a question for you. When you think about the future, what kind of thoughts come up? Are you fearful? Is it stressful thoughts? Or is it peaceful thoughts? Or do you not really like to think about it at all? Just think about what you think about when you th- about the future. So there's some, th- some things in Daniel that talk about the end times. So what do we need to know about the end times? Number one thing we need to know is that times are going to get tougher. So don't shoot the messenger. I'm only giving the news. I didn't write the story. It's not coming from me. I'm just telling you things will get tougher. So in Daniel chapter seven, he has these visions of beasts. And just so you know, the the different chapters of Daniel, they're not given in like days, a few days. They're given in a few years. This is a few years time of the different visions that he has. So he has some visions of beasts. Y'all stick with me. One is like a lion and it had eagle's wings, set on its feet and given a human mind. Pretty crazy. The second beast looks like a bear. The next one looks like a lion with four wings and a bird on its back. And the last beast is incredibly strong, large, with iron teeth and 10 horns. Like what? Like are these things gonna be flying around? Like what is even going on? I like to think about the movie, um, Lord of the Rings, right? There's some weird creatures in that movie. So just like some of the imagery, that's what's going on in here. And you may be thinking like, are these things gonna be on the earth? Are they gonna be flying around? Well, actually these four beasts that Daniel is talking about, in the Old Testament, these beasts are metaphors. It didn't, they weren't really around. They were metaphors for four world governments. And I know King Nebuchadnezzar had that dream. It's the same kind of vision. So we're looking at four different kingdoms that these beasts represents. Daniel prophesied that these things would happen in history and they actually did. It was way before it did, but Daniel prophesied that it would happen. These four kingdoms were the fall of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, and then the Antichrist to come. So stick with me. I don't know if you like a little bit of backstory history. I like that because it helps us understand what he's talking about and what's going on. But it's talking about So out of the third kingdom, the third beast, not a real beast, just a metaphor, there's gonna be four small horns that would come out of the kingdom of Greece. And it would be, one of the horns would be a small ruthless one, and he would be especially cunning and violent and especially vicious towards God's people. And this actually happened, you can go, you can Google it later. And a ruler came out of Greece and his name was Anatokis Epiphanes. And I also need you to know that I practiced that name about 50 times yesterday. (laughs) I was walking around to Josiah like, hey, you ever uh, heard of uh, Anatokis Epiphanes? So I'd never heard of him before, but he was a real ruler that came out of Greece and he was awful. He had, um, this is him up here. There was a coin that he had made of him, of his face. What's with all these rulers and their coins and their statues? So he did that. 
But what he did is he took God's people, he took the Jewish people and he brought them into the holy of holies of the temple and he would make them worship him and he would make them bow down to him and he made them eat pork in the holy of holies, which is called, if you've ever heard, the abomination of desolation. That's what that's called and that's what was going on here. I can't even, we can't even like understand what, like how brutal and how horrible that was to God's people. He murdered over 80,000 Jews. He, um, uh, women, children, pregnant women, kids, everybody. And um, he was also called the Hitler of the Old Testament. So I think we can all agree, a horrible, horrible man. Please don't name your kids after him. A horrible man, but... There's some foreshadowing that goes on there. Isn't a fifth beast. The Antichrist is like him, like that third king out of Greece. He is like him, but it says the Antichrist is going to be even worse than him. Can't imagine much worse than that, right? So in Daniel 12, 1, it says, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. So that means there's never been anything as bad as what's gonna happen when he comes. It's going to be awful. And Daniel was given these visions, like I said, at different times of his life. And it says when he would be given some of these visions, he would lay down for days. He would be physically exhausted. And then another time says he was physically sick and the, the um, strength drained out, from other, out of him, the color, he was laying on the floor. And it's easy to pass over that to say like, oh, he saw some really awful things. But if we really just kind of think on it, what had he must have seen that is to come that's gonna be at the end of times that would be so scary that it would make him physically sick for days. So that's not meant to scare us, but just to say like God has given a, just a warning of what's gonna come. I think of like the most like graphic war movie I've ever seen. Like that probably times a thousand is some of the stuff Daniel was seeing. That movie Thief in the Night that I was talking about that times a whole lot more. But so don't lose hope though, right? It's getting tough. We're talking about some tough things. But what stands out to me as we'll read this chapter in Daniel is how in control God actually is of it all. In uh, Daniel 11.36, we're talking about the Antichrist. It says, the king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every God and will say unheard of things against the God of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. I don't know if you caught it, it says until the time of wrath is completed, he's successful. God's in control of it all. He's giving him a time. The time is allotted. God is really that the one who's in control. The enemy is not in control. The Antichrist isn't in control. That time is allotted. And it says what's determined must take place. It's not easy. It's not gonna be, it will be hard, but it's only for a time. And the good thing, the hope is that suffering is limited. It's only for a time. And the reason why it's limited is because of point number two. Jesus is coming back. It is a true fact. He is coming to make everything right, coming to get his rule and reign for, uh, for good. And we all have the question, when is Jesus coming back? I know that's a really big question and let me answer that for you. I have the answer for you. It's actually in Matthew 24, 36, but it says this. But of that day and hour, no one knows not even the angels of heaven. It says, my father alone. So who knows when Jesus is coming back? Only who? Only the father, only God. The father is the only one. 
The Bible does give indications of seasons. If you've read that in different parts of the Bible or the gospel, he'll give different indications, but we don't know the exact time. So what does that mean? Beware of someone who says they do know the exact time Jesus is coming back. I don't know if any of you heard of, probably most of you heard of or lived through Y2K. What was supposed to happen? January 1st, 2000, the computers were gonna wig out and not be able to compute um, electricity, water, transportation. Life was going to end. Everything was gonna shut down. And as that time rolled around on New Year's Eve, what happened? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) But thankfully, right? I'm glad it didn't because that would have been awful. But there were a few people who believed that what would happen after Y2K would be the tribulation and Jesus would come back. Not only that, there was an 89-year-old man named Harold Camping, and he predicted that Jesus would return on to earth on Mar- uh, May 21st, 2001. But when that didn't happen, he changed it to October 21st. He just was like, maybe I got it a little wrong. Um, that true believers will be swept up or raptured to heaven, he pronounced. And he was using Christian network broadcasting on TV to say this, to publicize his ideas. And his campaign actually went global. So there was this man named Robert Fitzpatrick. He was a retired transportation agency worker in New York. And he spent more than $140,000 of his personal savings to run advertisements, uh, to publicize this prediction. Uh, What's his name? Harold said that biblical text indicated that there'd be a giant earthquake and it would start the world's destruction and then everybody who wasn't a Christian was gonna be dead. Uh, that poor man, right? He lost his money and actually um, the guy ended up saying like, hey, I was wrong, I sinned, this wasn't right, don't believe me anymore. At least he admitted that. But it's very clear that nobody knows the day or the time that Jesus is going to come. It could be a decade away, it could be a hundred years away, but either way, we need to be ready. And don't waste your time and your money trying to figure it out, because we don't know. Spend your time and energy on other things that God, where God needs you. It's just a distraction from what we really should be spending our time on. And in a little bit, I'm gonna tell you what we need to be spending our time on. But even if Jesus is coming back in a thousand years or if he's coming back today, we need to have our hearts and our lives ready. And he's, he came first as a suffering lamb. But when Jesus comes back, this time he's coming back as a victorious lion. He is the one who is making it all right. In Daniel chapter seven, God comes back and gives all dominion to Jesus. It's all his. He gives him the kingdom. He gives it all to him. He's gonna destroy the Antichrist and all of evil. And he's gonna establish his kingdom on earth when he returns. Think about that. The kingdom of heaven will be on earth. And that's just such a day that we all look forward to. He's gonna make everything right. There's no more tears, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. And I know in such a world where it's so hard, that's what our hearts really long for, is Jesus to make everything right. And whether we're living in the end times or not, there's so many times that even the angel told Daniel, like, it's not for you to worry about, don't worry about the times. Jesus told his disciples, don't worry about it. Don't worry about when it is, but worry about, like my kingdom. And so that's what we need to be concerned about. It is our end times. We're gonna die. Even if we don't make it to the end times, we're gonna face Jesus no matter what. So we should be ready. And number three, the thing that we need to know, in Christ, we overcome. We will overcome. Daniel 12, one through three says, at that time, Michael the archangel who stands guard over your nation will arise 
and there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and some to everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. I don't know if you caught a few things. He's saying it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be worse, it's gonna get worse. Kind of like that thing like people say like, oh, the, we're, it's going to hell in a handbasket. It really kind of is, you know, like it, it really is. It's kind of always been bad if you just would, you know, be honest. Like there's been sin and people have done horrible things throughout history. But yes, it is going to get worse. But those whose names are written in the book will be saved and the reason that some of you or some people can get so scared or frustrated right now is because you have no concept of life beyond this life. You're only focused on here. But for those of you and I who know Jesus, we know that the victory is in his resurrection, right? That's where our victory lies. And we know that there is life beyond this life, that this is not just, that's not it. And that's the great promise that your soul needs today, that this isn't it. There is life beyond this life. And also because we serve him, we get his kingdom. He gives us all and that is his kingdom on earth. We get to participate and be in that and be included in that. So because of what Jesus does, we get it also. And I love this scripture in Revelation 12, 11. It says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Three things in there, right? What do we need? We need Jesus's blood. He shed his blood for us, so that way we have salvation. He did that. The second thing, the word of your testimony, that's something no one can take from you, what Jesus has done in your life, what he's done in your heart, what he's done through you, what he's done in you. No one can take that away. That's your testimony. The enemy can't refute what God has done in your life. And the third thing, that we don't love our lives unto death, that we don't cling to this life so much that we don't wanna let go. And, and like the Bible says in the gospel, die to yourself daily. That's what he's asking us to do. Those three things are how we overcome the enemy. And so we have read the end of the Bible. We know who wins, right? We've said it, God wins, Jesus wins, and in Christ, because of him, we win. And this world is not the end, there is so much more. So those are some of the things we need to know. Now, as I was talking about, what do we need to do? Now I know these things, what do we need to do with it? We still have work to do. There are lots of things we need to keep doing. But the first thing is that we need to keep trusting. We need to keep trusting. Daniel's God is the same God as us. It's our God and he's still in control. And I think that's one of the main themes of this book of Daniel, that God is in control. He is in charge of it all. He's in charge of nations. The different kings that came up around, um, they weren't the ones who took over God, right? God had a say so, God had the final say. Even with the end and the antichrist, God is in charge. He's in charge of your family, he's in charge of everyone's family and he's in charge of individuals. He's in charge of our past, he's in charge of our present and God's in our future and he is in charge and he is in control of our future. So what is trust though, right? Oh, I need to trust God, what does that mean? Trust is something that's deeper than knowledge because we can know in our head, God wins, I know the end, I've seen it, I've heard it, that God's in control, but trust takes it a step further, an, uh, an extra step. Trust is believing and hoping in Jesus and believing that. 
Trust has conviction. And it's not just in our heads, it's in our heart that we are trusting God in our heart. No matter what things look like all around us, we're still believing to trust God or what other people are saying or what our culture says or what like Daniel, all the things that he could have bowed down to, he kept trusting in God. But one thing that can hold us back from trust is fear. Fear can hold us so far back. And you know what fear's best friend is that's always right behind? His name is control. When fear comes in, control wants to come in because we wanna protect our lives. We don't wanna have hardship. We don't wanna see our kids or our families or somebody we love go through things. So we guess what? We grasp a little tighter on them and we um, try to control things that we absolutely we really don't have control over. If you would just be honest, do you really have control over what happens to you? It's an illusion, we don't. Why? You can get a phone call this afternoon that can completely change your life. There's a diagnosis that you could get tomorrow, anyone, a, a car wreck, an accident, a loss, a tragedy. We don't have control. And instead of, since we don't have it, I think we could find so much freedom in that if we loosened our grip on control and that we just trusted in the one who does have it, the one who has the past, present, and future. Why is it just so hard for us to trust him sometimes if, he, if we really believe and know that he has it all? So don't let fear and false control hold you back from trust. And I said false control, it's because we don't have it. And guess what? Like I keep saying, we already know the ending. We know how this world ends. We know that God wins. We know that he takes it over. We just have to trust the one who does. Who likes to know all the details? I'm one of those detail people. Good, my fellow people. I like to know like where we're going, what we're doing, like where we're eating while we're going, where we're getting snacks on along the way. Like I like to know all the, the details. It's a little bit harder when you don't know all the details. And I know sometimes with trusting God, it can be hard because we don't know all the details, right? And that can be really, really hard with what we're facing right now. But can we keep trusting him when we don't have all the details? Have you ever, I've done this when I was younger, I don't do this anymore because I'm tired, but when I was younger, I used to be, read like a book and I'd be so excited. I wanted to know the end, I had to know how it was. I'd stay up all night reading this book. Again, don't do that anymore. Um, but I needed to know the end. But guess what, as Christians, we do know the end. We just don't know the middle, right? But that can be sometimes hard too, not knowing the middle and the, Middle is what can be the hard middle. And that could be whatever you're facing right now in your life. What is the thing that you're walking through that is your hard middle, that you don't know that next step. You don't have the light, it seems, in front of you. But it does say that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So we do have that light. Even though we can't see a little bit in the middle, we do know we have that next step every single time. But that hard middle can be that struggle, that suffering, that pain, that pain point in your life. And so don't let that hard middle keep you from trusting Jesus. And I think about it in this way, what a gracious God we do have, that he doesn't leave us in the dark. Like, will he win? Will evil always prevail? Will Jesus not return? Will he not make everything right? No, he's answered all of those questions for us. He's given us that, hey, I win, I take control, and I have it. And I think we can see it as, hey, I don't know the details, though. I know it gets there, but I don't know how the details, and we can see that 
think about it in the way that he's not a good God, but if we reframe it and say he is a good God because he does tell us what's gonna happen and we win and we just have to trust him in that. Our part is trusting him in that. And I love this quote by Elizabeth Elliot. It says, today is mine, tomorrow is none of my business. If I peer anxiously into the fog of the future, I will strain my spiritual eyes so that I will not see clearly what is required of me now. We need to be concerned with what God is needing of us now, not like all these seven days of darkness and this is gonna happen. And I don't like, uh, if you read Revelation, yes, it can kind of get overwhelming, but no, what do I need to do now? I don't need a strain here. I need to trust him for the now. So we need to keep trusting. And our second point, number two, we need to keep praying. Prayer has been such a main theme of this book. It definitely has marked Daniel's life. And I know it's something that needs to mark our lives also. Many of you think that prayer is a way to get close to God, but no, it's actually the result of knowing how close God is to you and knowing that you have all access to God absolutely any time. That he, it doesn't say like we need to pray for God to be near us and with us. It, God is with us. He is already with us. And if we would access that knowing with prayer that we have everything we need, we have access to a God who has everything we need absolutely at any time. I don't know if you've heard of Billy Graham. He was an evangelist in like the 80s and 90s. He probably preached hundreds and hundreds of sermons. And this is something Billy Graham said. Prayer is the most important thing we could ever do. And if I could do my ministry over again, I would pray more than I preached. And he preached an awful lot. So prayer is so important. It's our lifeline to God. And as we keep hearing, Daniel's life, Daniel was a man of prayer. It marked his life and it, what was, it's what kept him. Daniel chapter nine is actually a, um, a chapter about prayer again with Daniel. And he's seen some things and he's heard some things and he has, he's concerned about his people, which is Israel. So he's very concerned. He's seen some scary things. So what does he do? Does he go to like his friends and try to like figure it out? Does he worry? Does he, no, this is what Daniel does. Daniel 9, three through four says, then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord, my God and made confession. So I love even what it starts off saying. What does it say? Then I turned my face to the Lord. It doesn't say I got angry and I got scared and I turned my back to the Lord. No, it's he came and he humbled himself. He presented himself before God and he says, he uh, came to him, he prayed, he fasted, he was begging for mercy. These, this, these are the things Daniel did when he was scared and confused. And that's the same things we need to do. We need to run to God when we don't know when we need the answer. And nine, Daniel 9.21 says, and while Daniel was speaking and praying and confessing his sin and the sin of his people, Gabriel the angel appeared. So not only did he pray and plead for mercy, he confessed his sin. He said those things that he had done that were holding him back. He let those things out to God. And also as a leader, he was confessing the sin of his people. He noticed what his people were doing and he was bringing that before God. He's just doing anything, right? He wants to, to uh, hear from God. And his answer appeared, it was Gabriel. His answer appeared while he was praying. Before you get a little discouraged to be like, oh wow, what a great man of God. Daniel prayed immediately and he got his answer after he did like the checklist, right? But that's actually not how it happened. Because at this point, up until this point, Daniel had been praying for this answer for 70 years, 70. 
He kept praying faithfully for this. And I have a question for us. Are you, would you pray for something that long? Would you keep, if God wasn't answering you for 70 years, would you keep praying for that? How long before you gave up and lost faith? How long would we do that? And I just have an encouragement to you, don't give in, don't quit, don't give up in year 69 because who knows what'll happen in year 70. Keep praying faithfully even when it seems like there is nothing going on. And there were so many songs today that I felt like tied in, like even if I don't see it, you're working. He is still working. There just may be a reason we don't know that that prayer hasn't been answered. And I would also encourage you to keep praying because even if he doesn't give us an answer, we still get him when we pray. And that's the comfort we need. That's the blessing we need. That's the thing that keeps us going is knowing he's with us and he hears us, even though the answer doesn't come. But just don't stop praying like Daniel. Keep going. And after we keep trusting and keep praying, the last thing is we need to keep sharing We need to be ready for Christ's return. We need to keep planting. We need to keep giving. We need to keep serving and growing and making disciples. And the thing that the enemy would want us to do is hear these things that it gets harder and we cower back in fear and we just stay home and we surround ourselves or like in a holy huddle and don't let anybody else in. But what needs to happen? People need to know about Jesus. This is what we're called to do as we wait. And the same thing for the disciples in Acts 1, it says this. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We're always asking him like, hey, when are you gonna make all this right? We're no different than the disciples. But he said to them, and look what he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So anytime you start to get anxious about not knowing what's gonna happen, go back to what Jesus said. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that's fixed by him. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. So what do we need to keep doing? We need to be number one, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we are, we wanna be as witnesses to everybody. So whether, whatever city you're from, say like Jennings, Welsh, um, Lake Arthur, that's like your Jerusalem, right? Be witnesses where you are in your city. And then Samaria, uh, excuse me, Judea is our state. And um, Samaria, the ends of the earth, our, uh, sorry, it'd be like our city, our parish, our state, and all the ends of the earth. Jesus wants you, just like his disciples, to be witnesses to everyone. And so that's what we're called to do while we wait. So I have a picture that I wanna show y'all. A few weeks ago, we were in New York. It was um, me and Josiah's first time, so we were really excited, the whole subway experience. Um, it's, not, it's not glamorous, y'all. Subway's not glamorous, um, in case you were wondering. It's hot, it smells, and you gotta walk over lots of liquids and stuff on the floor. Um, rats, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the movies, in case you were wondering. But this is us on the subway. As you can see, we're not joking. Like it was this crowded. There wasn't much room for anybody else. And I I don't know if you're like that, but I don't love to be very close to strangers, but we needed to get where we needed to go. So you just kind of check out for a little bit and you get on the subway and you you get out and you're like, oh, thank God. So, uh, (laughs) and you leave your shoes at the door and wherever you're staying too. I I didn't allow anybody shoes in the house after being, walking these streets, but. So as you can see, what I'm trying to say is the subway was crowded. 
So when we, we, while we were there, we had family there too, and there were seven of us, and right before we had gotten on this train, we had walked down, and down you know, into the subway, and um, one was starting to come. We had just gotten to where we needed to be, and the doors opened, and it was crowded just like this one. And no one near the door, like no one scooted in, right? So we just like looked at each other. There were seven of us. We just kind of looked, and all of a sudden, the doors closed, and the train moved on. And so we were stuck. And usually there's another one that comes every few minutes. This next one was 20 minutes until our other one came. So while we were waiting, we had a plan. We were like, we're gonna break up in the two different doors and we're gonna push our way on even if nobody makes the room for us. We are getting on this train. And as you can see, we did. It must have been just a very busy time because that one was packed also. But we had a plan. But in the same way, what I'm trying to say though is, just like we missed the subway because no one made room for us to get on, are you making room for others to encounter Jesus? Just like the subway, you can be like those people in it. I'm in my train, I'm getting where I need to go. I have my seat, I don't need to worry about you. I'm not gonna move for you. I'm not gonna make myself uncomfortable for you. That's in the same way with the, we don't need to be like the people on the subway. We need to be ones who will move over, who will make ourselves uncomfortable so people can know Jesus, can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And it's just, we make it so difficult sometimes, right? But it could just be um, encouraging someone. It could be serving someone. It's telling someone else. No one else has your story of your life but you. It's telling that to someone else. No one can refute your testimony. It's sharing your life with others is what we need to keep doing as we wait until he comes so more and more can know about him. And don't be like the people on the subway. I just challenge you this week, what's one way you can do to share, what's one thing you can do this week to share God that he's doing something in your life to someone else in whatever way that looks like? Because he's given you a voice. We all have a voice and I want you to use it. Speak his words, encourage people. Again, we can make it so difficult, but it's really so simple. So just make room for people. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit and keep being witnesses as we wait. And again, don't worry about the season and details. Those things are not for us, but be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Make disciples and also don't cower in fear because again, that's what the enemy wants us to do, to cower back and to not share. And our last point, number four, keep standing. Keep standing. This one is huge and I'll share why. But Daniel and his friends were men who stood and did not back down, if you noticed. They did not back down no matter what they were faced with. And we have a, um, a challenge because as our culture shifts, the greatest danger for Christians is not persecution or rejection. Those things are gonna be hard and those things are gonna be awful, but that's not our greatest danger. Our greatest danger is that we would bow to the pressure, that we would give in, that we would quit, that we would do what they say, that we would um, fall in line to the ways of the culture or the enemy of this world, and that's not what God wants us to do. So think about Daniel's life. Think about some things. He was kidnapped, he was enslaved, he was castrated, he lived under oppression, he had been betrayed by his coworkers, he lived under constant danger, he survived several regime changes, yet he kept trusting, he kept praying, he kept um, sharing, and he kept standing. Daniel did not back down and he did not give in. And we serve, like I said, the same God that Daniel does that gives us the same power, the same courage, the same strength to keep standing no matter what is thrown at us. 
And I know we can all wonder about what the end times would be like or that um, we, we've heard some things of what Daniel has to say about the end times, but I wanna read to you Jesus's words. This is what Jesus had to say about the end times. So follow along with me as we read together. Matthew 24, three through 15. Later, Jesus sat at the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will, you signal, will signal your return at the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yet these things must take place, but the end will follow immediately. The end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will, all, you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But, let's read this together out loud. But the one who endures till the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. Jesus tied it all together. Daniel had these visions. Jesus is saying these things that Daniel said are gonna come true. Y'all, those, those weren't some good things. In, there's a part in Daniel where it says like, the power will be drained from the saints and after that happens, then you know, Jesus will make things right. Like, that's some heavy stuff, right? There, uh, persecutions and killing, but remember, those things will kill our human bodies, but what is Jesus after? Us standing in him, with him till the end, it says, but he who endures till the end will be saved. That's our hope, that's our encouragement, right? That's the thing we will, that will get us through, the things we, whatever, whether we walk through these things or, or not, we all still have hardships in our lives and things the enemy will come against us. But when you endure till the end, you will be saved. Just like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they kept standing. And this, a big point is that this, this earth, this world, this isn't our home. We shouldn't settle in. We shouldn't feel comfortable here. We shouldn't make this wonderful, incredible, yeah, like life is good and we have good things. God gives us good things. But it's not where our focus or all our energy should be. We should have our sights set on the eternal because this is only temporary. We should live for what's eternal. Because when things get hard, I think the thing that keeps us is knowing that our hearts are set on eternity. Because sometimes the things around us can just feel so heavy. It can feel like the pain is never going to end. It can feel like the suffering, this extra like day after day after day of just going through the motions that it can be and feel so painful. And I think the only thing will keep us from being defeated is knowing this isn't it. This is not forever. We have Jesus. At, we will be with him for eternity. And again, he'll wipe the tears from our eyes and we won't suffer and we won't have pain again. And that's what we need to have our focus on not being overcome by the temporary feelings and pain of this world, because this isn't it, and we're not here forever. And so I just have a, a would you mind Emily bringing that to me? Thank you, ma'am. Y'all give Emily a hand. So I just have this rope as an example, right? 
So picture this black part as our lives, this little part of the rope. And so all this part of the rope, all of this, it keeps going, it should, and going, and going, going. This rope is representative of eternity. That it's millions and this rope is representing millions and millions and billions and billions of years. Eternity has no end. It's not gonna stop. All this part of the rope, still going, still going. This is all eternity. Going, going. Pretend it doesn't come to an end, but because for time we have to come to an end. <laughs> but pretend all of this rope is eternity and this is the small part of our lives. But guess what most of us do? We live all of this part we were living it all for this. Instead of with eternity and focus, the focus of eternity on our minds, we let all of this determine where we end up here. When this is small, the Bible says it's like the blink of an eye that men are like, uh, our lives are like a vapor, but yet it feels so long, but that's not the, the truth of what it is. This is long, all all of that, this is what's long. And so we don't need to live our lives for this thing here, but for the thing that really matters that will last forever is our relationship with Jesus and being with Him. And the ultimate test of our life is, can we endure till the end? Will you quit? Will you give up when it's hard? But even like the Bible says, a man may fall seven times, but he does what? He gets back up. Y'all don't quit. We, I want for you to be with Jesus for all eternity. And whether or not we live in the end times, we get to eternity if we don't quit, no matter what that looks like. Even when life gets hard, even if we may lose our lives, we'll never lose our salvation. We'll always get to be with Him and live with Jesus forever. And the last scripture I wanna read is Daniel 12, one. And I know you keep hearing this and you get to hear it again. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. It's gonna be hard, y'all. But take comfort in that, he let you know that. We shouldn't be surprised. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be, be found written in the book. So those who are saved, God has a book. And when we stand before him, he's gonna see if our name is in that book. I've never been to a party like this, but you have, have you ever been somewhere where there's a, a guest list, a checklist, like you're not getting in this door, there's a bouncer there, unless your name is on the list. And that's just like that with eternity. God has people whose names are saved on this book. And it says, we win. We, those who endure, whose name is in the book, you get eternity, you get life with Jesus. And so this isn't meant to scare you into a relationship with Jesus. That's the last thing I wanna do. Because if a decision to follow Jesus is based on fear, whenever it gets hard, you're gonna bail. You're not gonna make it through. The thing that should keep you, or if you want a relationship with Jesus, is that He loves you and that He wants a relationship with you and that He went to great lengths to save you. And His kingdom, He gives it to you and it's available to you. And He wants to be with you forever. And I just wanna end in prayer, thinking about the four things that I talked about. Um, keep trusting, keep praying, keep standing, keep sharing and keep standing. I don't know exactly where you may find yourself 
Where do you find yourself the most in those four? Has there been something that you're struggling to trust God with to really give over that you're just kind of like holding, holding close back, right? That you, you're just like, God, I love you, I know you, but like, hey, I just need some space. Like what's that space in between you and God that you're struggling to trust Him for? Have you stopped praying? Have you gotten discouraged and you've given up praying for something you know you should keep praying for? Or do you need to share more with what God's done in your life and in your heart? Or do, and to make disciples and to share? Or is that your last thing, the um, standing, do you kinda just, you're prone to give in. You're just prone to cave when it gets just a little too hard. Where do you need God's help in the most? As we pray, I want you to think of those things. So let's close our eyes and pray. God, I thank you for your word and your word is truth, God, and that we don't have to live in fear of the future, but we can trust you. And I pray for those struggling with trust today, God, that they would lay it down, that thing that's keeping them just right between you, not in salvation wise, but just of closeness with you, God, that they would lay that thing down. And I pray for the person that is struggling, that has given up in prayer, that's discouraged. God, I pray you bring courage to their hearts today where they need you the most. And I pray for the one who may need boldness or courage in sharing what you've done in their heart and in their life. I pray you give them the courage and the boldness to share about you this week and in continuing in their lives. And I pray for the person who is struggling that, um, with quitting, God, because you say if we, we win, if we endure to the end, God, I pray you give them endurance, God. I pray that you would help them see uh, with eternity in mind, God, that that's the finish line, God and that we get to be with you forever and they would, everyone here would not get discouraged by the um, hardships of this life and let those things weigh us down. And also now in this moment, I just wanna pray for anyone who has not accepted Jesus as um, made them Lord and Savior of their life. If you've never done that before, again, not based out of fear, but just of wanting to be with him forever, I would like you just to, at this moment, if, that's, if you've never made that decision, if you just wanna raise your hand, and if we could all just pray this prayer together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame. You died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. You rose from the dead and give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your Father. Today I turn away from sin to be born again and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying that prayer with us. I just wanna congratulate you on taking that step and so at this time, if everybody could just stand up with me as we close, end in prayer, and if the prayer team could come up. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, come up and find one of our prayer partners and let them know that. Or if there's something that, you're, whether it's one of those four things that we talked about or just something different that you're going through in your life and you want more prayer for, we just definitely encourage you to come up and pray with one of our uh, prayer team. And so um, I just thank you so much for being here and let's just close in prayer. God, I thank you that you are the God that is not just 
You're not the God of the future, God. You're in the future and you have all of our, our worlds, our lives in your hands. And God, I pray that no matter what we face, we would trust you. Whether that's the end times or just the hard times that we walk through, we would be people who are faithful to you, that will stand no matter what, who will not bow to the things of this world, to the gods of this world, but to continue to trust and to love and serve you. Give us the courage to do that as we walk it out. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.